Hello and welcome to Unscripted. I'm Chris Abbas and this is... Phil Blades. Hey! <laughs> and in this show we talk about the latest news, tech news, what's going on in the industry and just random topics that we think are quite interesting. Um, it kind of originated when me and Phil used to go for breakfast every Friday morning and put the world to rights and we thought, why not record it? What can go wrong? Um, so we're doing this in person for the first time. We're in London. Yep, we're in London. We have been under strict instructions to stay close to the microphones. Hello. So it might not go very well. Um, but we thought we'd kick things off with something that we've been seeing in the market. And there's quite a lot of data supporting this is happening actually, is the fact that working from home and remote working opportunities are dramatically dwindling and reducing. Um, in March, um, I believe there was around 20% of live jobs that were posted advertising for remote workers. This month it's down to 13.2%. And there's a massive disconnect between what people want uh, because when people are applying for jobs and stating their work preference, 52.8% of people are asking for remote work. So we're in a conundrum here. Absolutely. What's going on? Yeah. I think you were putting a stat earlier that was saying that um, pre-pandemic, uh, around 6% of people were working remotely. So it's always been a thing, and it probably always will be a thing. But, you know, I think it sort of peaked at maybe sort of 50, 60% of professional workers working from home. Um, you know, I suppose it's all maybe down to people like us, or I guess, really running companies. And, you know, there's lots of driving factors behind it. But ultimately, you know, the job of leaders in companies is to make them perform well. So, you know, whether that's right or wrong, whether it's an emotional decision, whether it's a data-driven decision, I think people are making those calls based on, you know, what they think is the best operating model for performance. And I know that we've definitely witnessed a lot of really positive things about having a more um, you know, working from home culture um, and also some less good things. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought it'd be good to maybe speak about some of those yeah. and our opinions on what we think the future of work might look like. Yeah. Um, I think that you know, remote working obviously offers a ton of opportunity for flexibility. Mm. The, one of the biggest takeaways for me is just the access of talent opens yeah. up massively. You can hire people in different countries, different states in the US that you wouldn't have been able to hire otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that in a lot of professions, you can technically do your job at home. Yeah. Um, but to me, I think there's a wider piece around, is it just about being able to for, perform the kind of X, Y, Z of your role? Mm. Um, is being part of a team, part of a company more than that? Yeah. Um, and I think that's where a lot of stuff has been lost in translation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, maybe I sound like a sad person, basically. But, you know, pre pandemic, I always well, not maybe always, but I often quite liked going to work. And a lot of the reason for that was because I really liked the people that I worked with. And, you know, that was a really special thing. And it's not to say I didn't really like the job that I was doing, but it really was, it was the people that made it special. And I think it's really hard to get that over Zoom, or whatever, you know, for, certainly for us, you know, well, you know, certainly for me anyway, you know, we, I've worked with a lot of people at Talentful for absolutely years, you know, maybe three, four years before the pandemic. And I know them really well, but still it's harder to even sort of enhance that relationship um, when working from home and managing teams, in my opinion anyway, you know, remotely, I think is inherently more difficult. I think it makes it very transactional and very, you know, 
yeah, I, I just it loses some of the beauty, I think, of, uh, of, of work. I think by nature, if you're only managing someone remotely, it has to be very kind of data-led and KPI-led. Mm. And I think on the whole, people don't like to feel like that's how they're being managed. Yeah. And especially more junior people, they like to feel like they have more creativity, more room yeah. to perform their duties how they want to do it. But that's incredibly hard to do um, when you're fully remote. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's some kind of outside edges of being in a company and things that just happen naturally that enhance the experience and the performance of teams. Yeah. So, you know, just having a great relationship with someone, knowing them more, knowing what their preferences are, their dislikes are, um, allows you to get stuff done quicker because, yeah. you know, you know the person, you know that, um, you know, if you speak to someone in the morning, they're more likely to get you something by midday. If you ask them after midday, you wait until the next morning, right? <laughs> like the little nuances like that, yeah. um, that really do at scale make a massive difference. If someone likes you, they're more likely to help you out and do things for you. They're yeah. more likely to give you more leeway if you miss a deadline. You know, just collaboration and communication is much, much easier. And learning is much easier as well. I remember when I was you know, in my first few jobs, just hearing people in the office, watching people and soaking that in accelerated my career, my learning for sure. Yeah. And, and I can't even imagine what it would be like as a you know, fresh grad out of university, just sitting behind a screen and having transactional one hour meetings in the calendar. Yeah. It, it must be a nightmare. And it also really must be blocking progression and learning. Yeah, it might not be something that you maybe recognize when you are in that position, because you might think, well, you know, I get my flexibility and that, that outweighs it now. But is there a compounding effect as you go through your career that actually you haven't picked up the things that some of them, you know, people five years ahead of you did, and therefore you're at a disadvantage in the future. And it's quite hard to remedy that problem when you are five years down the track. Um, I mean, my personal opinion is I think that something hybrid is probably the most productive thing for many jobs, I think, um, because you, you get that sort of personal interaction and you know that, that time with your team, but then you also do get the time to shut yourself away and actually do the work and sort of do the deep work, particularly if you've got a job that requires um, you to kind of get into a flow state. I think that's very difficult to do in an open plan office. So I can definitely see the argument why people want to work from home, but I do think somewhere in between the two, certainly for a business like ours, and I think maybe most businesses, I think is probably the right way. I know a lot of people as well that have concerns about doing it have maybe got into the habit of having five days at home mm. and you know, they may be dreading it, they have anxiety around it, or they just really don't want to do it. Yeah. And I've spoken to lots of people who um, are in that position and their companies have said, right, we need to be in two days a week now. Yeah. And they had very negative feelings about that. But once they started going in mm. and started getting back into the routine, back into the habit, they actually started to really enjoy it. Mm. And I think yeah. that as human beings, we really do create these routines and habits and we become very comfortable quickly. Yeah. Look how fast you know, things happened during the pandemic. I'm, I know that when we first went into lockdown, the reaction from people was incredibly negative. It's like, I don't want to be, you know, at home five days a week. You know, I want to be in the office. It's something I really enjoy. In the space where it seemed like less than a month, mm. people were already comfortable in that new routine. Yeah. And I think that there's the notion that kind of doing what you just want to do and doing what is comfortable is just the best thing. And I don't think that's always right. You know, you wouldn't do a lot of really good things if you just didn't do it because you didn't feel like it. Yeah. You know, I would never go to the gym, you know, if I didn't feel like it, which would not be good for me long term, yeah. you know. Uh, and 
when I show up at the gym, there's never a time that I leave and think, oh, I really shouldn't have come here. Mm. It's always, I'm really glad I did. I feel much better. Yeah. Um, I can go home and eat a burger tonight, right? <laughs> and um, now I think that we're in the same kind of position. Like mm. it's, it's annoying to like, when it's raining outside to get up and you know, go and sit on the train or the bus or whatever else, yeah. or walk into work. But normally when you're there and you have these interactions with your colleagues and you get the energy and you get something done, you're like, that was fucking great. Yeah. I think one of the, I suppose, it's what I think is like a formal hybrid is, is the right way. I think where many companies are at the moment is a kind of like a sort of informal, messy hybrid kind of thing where it's like, okay, guys, you know, you can come to the office a bit or you can not come to the office. And then the, the trouble with then you think of that on that commute kind of thing is you sort of, maybe put if you were in a place that you'd like to work you know you'll push through that discomfort of the commute to get to the office and then if everyone's there that you like then you get the reward essentially so that kind of feeds the dopamine response but one of the worst things and you know i've definitely found this i, I travel quite a long way to get into work that sometimes i'll travel in and it'll take me two hours maybe two and a half hours to get here and then there'll be three people here and that's quite disappointing because really there wasn't any point in me coming in because we're not getting I'm not getting any of the benefit from it. I'm not seeing anybody that, um, you know, I need to work with or that kind of thing. So I think there has to be some uh, guidance and some uh, guardrails around it, I think, uh, to make it work really well. I totally agree. Yeah, there's so many times I've gone in, I'm just sat in a meeting room all day mm. and no one that I need to collaborate with or work with or have meetings with that is there. Yeah. And I think, you know, we've been intentionally very flexible with our approach because you know, I think it is a very dangerous decision, especially in a time that has been so volatile mm. and so extreme that you really put all your eggs in one basket because the market, if it can flip one way so suddenly, mm. it can quite easily flip the other way yeah. as suddenly, right? So um, we've been had a very flexible, flexible approach. We've offered three different working styles for people, mm. you know, in office and you get a fixed desk. You have to be coming in more than four days a week. A hybrid is two days a week, uh, but you can pick those days yeah. at the moment. And then um, fully remote. And these that's typically reserved for people that aren't in a location where we have a head office or we have an office presence. Yeah. And um, I think on the whole, it's been working quite well. But I do think what, you, what you've been saying is the hybrid approach of just, you know, coming whenever you want. I don't think it works particularly. I think that's the weakness because yeah. you don't get that benefit of having everyone there collaborating mm. you know in the same place at the same time definitely yeah i mean obviously so i can speak as a parent and the one of the benefits of doing some kind of hybrid or fully remote is that you know you do get the opportunity to spend more time with your children or with your partner um and you know contribute more as maybe if you are the sort of primary work working parent um or you know wh whatever the kind of uh, setup is where you are um you know so if I start work at, you know, sort of eight o'clock, 8.30, I'm, I can be around for breakfast. I can sort of do those kind of things. I can help my wife, you know, get children ready and all that kind of stuff, which, you know, when I come to London, I can't do. I sort of leave at 6 a.m. to do that. So I'm kind of out before, before children are up. Um, and there's lots of benefits for other types of carers and, you know, lots of different types of people, basically. So it's... It's a, it's a very tricky situation and I can definitely see why lots of people are advocating for remote or for the you know completely flexible hybrid approach. Um, it's just, you know, there's lots of competing interests here, obviously as sort of company owners or, uh, you know, senior execs in companies, even if you haven't got shareholders, you do have to, you know, you've, you've got to make a successful company to keep everyone employed and hopefully employ more people in the future. 
So it's sort of balancing up the kind of the needs of the individual versus the, the needs of the company. And that's where everyone is right now. And that's what, it's a very tricky situation. There's no, there's no silver bullet, I don't think. And so we're seeing, you know, from the actual data of you know, job postings, um, you know, the appetite for remote work is reducing. Yeah. Now, we're also seeing this kind of anecdotally as well. Mm. Um, so, you know, we work with multiple different clients um, and um, we're a consultancy. So, you know, pre-pandemic, uh, we would spend some time in client offices and then some time in our offices. Now, after COVID, fully remote, no one wanted us in their office. We didn't get any requests. It wasn't a big deal at all. Mm. And over the last, I'd say it's really kicked up in the last three to four weeks. Yeah. Um, almost every single client that we're speaking to in the sales funnel wants people on site mm. some of the week. Yeah. And that to me has been a really interesting trend. Obviously, alongside this data, yeah. it seems to me that there's actually a shift. It's not just the the Apples and the, and the Googles saying come back, but a lot of these kind of earlier mid-stage startups mm. are also making the move. Yeah, I mean, I think it was always gonna happen that you start with the kind of fan companies or whatever that that group's called the man companies uh now um then you know startups or you know tech companies throughout the life cycle always look to those companies and say well you know if google are getting away with it or apple are getting away with it then we're going to do it and you know most companies certainly of a decent size probably still have office contracts because you sign multi-year deals on offices usually so you know maybe it's a bit motivated by that as well but i guess they're probably making a bet that you know, the markets are getting tougher, certainly for tech companies, but probably for the rest of the economy soon. Do you default to a more sort of controlled system where you give yourself the best shot possible, theoretically, I suppose, of getting the best result in your company? And I definitely think we're seeing this right now. And it is really across the spectrum from, you know, big, you know, sort of Decacorn uh, companies down to, you know, Series A, maybe even seed companies uh, doing the same thing. So, I think it's actually harder basically to run a remote team. And it's not to say that you can't run incredibly successful remote teams, but I do think it is much harder because I think it's easier to manage people if you can see them, basically. And so you can sort of, you can just tell when someone's a bit down or, you know, they're struggling with something. So the kind of thing that someone might not put into your diary as a meeting, a, sort of a small nuanced thing, or someone's just, you know, they're trying really hard. They've, they've not quite mastered a certain thing, but they also, they've got a lot of pride and they don't want to, you know, bother their manager. If you're in the office sitting with those people, it's a lot easier to see that. And maybe you can pull them to the side and say, you know, you're doing a great job. You're really trying hard. Maybe try something a little bit different like this. And then maybe you remedy the problem. Whereas, you know, pr pr proud people probably won't put uh, the video in the video call in the diary. And that's, there's a missed opportunity there, I think. Well, I think there's different um, stages of like mastering something, right? And the mm -hmm. first stage is unconscious incompetence. Yeah. Right. And then it's conscious incompetence. Mm. Right. So there's a stage in a new role or in a new company where you don't even know what you don't know. Yeah, that's true. And yeah. so yeah. you might be sat there thinking you're doing the right thing, completely stuck and oblivious, mm. um, you know, running down, you know, complete wrong direction. Mm -hmm. And no one can be, wait, you know, you're not doing that. Or yeah. and so you've probably got lots of people in companies that are in that, you know, unconscious incompetence stage mm. that really just don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a big deal, yeah, you know, yeah, because um, that's how I've definitely been there in my career. And I've needed someone to say, Chris, actually, why are you doing it that way? You know, um, that's totally wrong. Or why wouldn't you try something like this? And they would have never been able to. Well, they probably would have at some point because I would have drastically underperformed. Mm. 
given enough time, um, but they were able to catch it very early. Yeah. And I think that, you know, when you think about it as one individual, you're like, okay, well, that, what's, that, what's that big deal? It takes a couple of weeks or a month longer for someone to catch that. But when you extrapolate that out mm. across hundreds and thousands of people across the economy, that is a huge impact. Yeah. And it's also not enjoyable. You know, I, I'm someone who wants feedback and I think a lot of people are as quickly as possible. They want to succeed in their roles. And I think it's maybe also leading to this burnout um, because, you know, if you're in a position where you're feeling like, you know, you're not progressing, you're not learning, you're doing a transactional job, you, know, you don't have relationships at work as, as strong as they would be otherwise. Um, that isn't fun. Yeah. Yeah. And it might be cool. I mean, yeah, it might be causing people to leave companies as well, but, but maybe through burnout or just through just the actual just frustration of not, and, the, and also the pride, I suppose, really of wanting to do a great job and not being able to do it. And, you know, I've definitely seen people leave companies that we've had before, maybe when they didn't need to, you know, they, they, they were actually almost there, but maybe they just needed a bit of an intervention, but instead they decided to sort of push the ejector button. So, yeah, I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting. I mean, we were talking ages ago about, well, during the pandemic about graduate hiring. Now we, we did quite a lot of graduate level hiring pre-pandemic and it was really successful for us, but bringing people up to speed from zero to one essentially remotely just did not seem like a good uh, gamble really for us at that point. I mean, maybe companies are doing a good job of it. I'd really like to hear about companies that have nailed that, but it, it felt a bit scary to us, to be honest with you. It felt like it might be a really bad investment. Um, so I don't know whether it is affecting sort of supply of um, sort of entry-level workers into the market, which obviously then will cause more of a talent shortage in the future in the sort of mid-level roles in two, three years time. Well, we, we know anecdotally, we have some close connections in some of the big four accountancy firms who do these huge graduate programs. And their latest program, um, one of the partners that we know, they onboarded a bunch of graduates virtually and it ended you know, very badly. Like the performance just massively dropped. Um, you know, the, the speed of execution and learning and um, this was nowhere near what it had been in previous years. Um, and so you know, moving forwards, they're bringing it back in house. Um, so I think that we're seeing that um, and, and we're going to continue to see it. What do you think the future is going to look like if we if we fast forward, let's say 12 months? I think it will be a sort of I think most companies, certainly in the tech sector anyway, will be on a strict hybrid kind of model where there'll be maybe two, three days in the office, two or three days at home. Um, and those days will, you know, you might have like two core days or one core day where every single person is in. Um, that's what I think. Mm. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think that um, having two to three days in office mm -hmm. and then the rest working from home, I yeah. feel like that's going to be the standard. Yeah. I think what companies should do, though, going towards that is be very mindful of people's situations right now. So if they are either working in a loose hybrid or uh, in a remote environment, you know, unwinding that is very, very difficult. Um, and obviously for some people, they don't live anywhere near the office, so it's just not practical to come back in. Um, but even for others that are commutable distance, you know, childcare, you know, nurseries are a, a very difficult situation, I'm sure, across the US and Europe. Um, getting a good place, you know, getting the right days that you want. And if you want to swap your days around, that is quite difficult a lot of the time. You know, you might be a carer for somebody. You know, a lot of people got dogs and different pets during that time. That might be also difficult as well. So I think employers have to be mindful and, um, you know, respectful of the fact that people did sort of build their lives around the fact that they thought they were going to be remote forever. Um, 
Yeah. But yeah. And what would you say? Because it seems like, Joe, from the data, there's a huge disconnect between the expectation of people, um, you know, in the fact that there's, you know, 50 odd something people are requesting remote work. You know, there's 20% of jobs requesting remote work. Mm. And that seems to be, you know, sliding further and further down. Yeah. That means there's a delta there. Mm. And, you know, the natural resolution of that is people are going to have to adjust their expectations. So what would you say to those people who have, I guess, or what is the best approach to those people who, you know, maybe just like a lot of companies have, they've gone through this period of time, they've maybe put all their eggs in one basket because the market seems to be going somewhere. They haven't thought, well, this is an extreme situation. Maybe it's going to return. I'll keep my options open. Um, and they're going to have to, to, to get a job. Do you think, you know, which I think a lot of people may be doing is they're thinking, oh, you know, this is just a, a lull in the market. It's going to come back exactly like it was and everyone's going to be back working from home. Mm. Or would you say, no, this is the kind of way it's going to be now. We're not going to see that kind of acceleration for a while. Mm. I think the, the percentage of remote jobs will settle at a higher level to what it was pri prior to the pandemic, I think. You know, I think you might see it settle around the sort of 15 to 20 percent of the professional uh, job market. Um, it's a tricky one. I mean, ultimately, if you're living hundreds of miles away from the office that and, you know, you, you know, the motivation for a lot of people moving was to buy a house with more you know, land or whatever. Um, so it's not practical to move back to London, the Bay Area, New York, etc. Um, I mean, one thing that's going to happen is there will be remote first companies. And I do think those companies will find it pretty easy to hire. They, they will certainly be able to get a lot of people into those companies. But the, the telling thing about the companies is, will they perform as well as the companies that are in office? Um, and therefore, will those jobs be as secure, I suppose, go, going forward? Um, <clears throat> I, think it's, I think it's difficult to say what they should do because I think that they is a very nuanced group of people and with lots of different needs. I mean, for some people, you know, they can easily move back or, you know, they are in commutable distance. And actually, as you were saying before, you know, if they do it for a few weeks coming back to the office, they'll probably like it and they'll be fine with it and they'll get back into that rhythm. Um, you know, for those that have moved, I mean, I suppose it could be big opportunities for companies to set up in maybe less uh, sort of prevalent uh, employment places. So whether that be, you know, places in Scotland, places in the north of England, you know, central um, states in the US. Um, so if you wanted to set up a company in those areas, you might actually be able to get some absolutely amazing talent that would come to the office. They're maybe not actually averse to coming to the office, it's just that they can't move back to a major city because they need a four bedroom house or whatever it might be. And do you think we're going to see, especially in talent, a lot of people during this time just get out of the industry because they've been burned during COVID. You know, now again, you know, the layoffs are crazy. Recruiting and talent have been disproportionately impacted. Do you think that's just going to actually like eject, <laughs> eject a bunch of talent? Definitely. Yeah. Ultimately, people have you know, broadly have got to work so you know if you can't find a talent job in a couple of months then you're going to look at any any job that you could do and there's loads of transferable skills in talent lots of sales jobs uh, look for talent people lots of other jobs customer success you know all the operations jobs could could be you know options for them so yeah i do i do think we'll see that there's got to be a rebalancing i mean lots and lots of people got into internal talent particularly during the last couple of years and we are seeing a lot of people going back to agencies as well. You know, whether that is their first preference or not, who knows? But it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out when the demand picks up again for recruiters and do they make the switch back again or do they, you know, stay back in the agency world? And I guess that would be quite interesting to track, like, over a certain time frame, 
people with job titles as recruiters or talent acquisition professionals or partners or whatever, mm. how that trends over the next couple of years. Yeah. Um, because yeah, I bet, I bet like you said, over the last 18 months, that would have shot up. Mm. You know, you've had people going graduate in, people from sales roles going in, people from you know, retail jobs going in yeah. because it was relatively low barrier to entry, but massive uh, potential in terms of pay yeah. and acceleration of career. Um, and there was a huge demand for the talent. Mm. Um, I definitely think that there will be less internal talent jobs in the next over the next sort of five years or so, and even maybe even less than prior to the big rush as well, because I think typical behaviour of the market in a recessionary period is that outsourcing becomes a much bigger thing, um, because companies don't want to take the risk of hiring FTEs, and you know particularly if you were a head of talent with you know a team of one hundred people and you've had to lay off seventy of those people, that's just painful on a human level. And you know, do you really want to build that team back again rather than use a consultancy and you know book them on a twelve month basis or maybe a six month basis? And when that contract ends, you know, it's, it's just ending. There's no bad PR at the end of it. It's just we don't need you anymore. So that that's what I do think that's going to happen. Yeah, I've spoken to you, and I know you have a lot of CEOs and talent leaders who you know had relatively large talent teams during the pandemic, had to let a bunch of them go, mm-hmm. uh, if not all of them. Then during this kind of post-COVID boom, desperate to get talent in, were paying over the odds, were having to bring people maybe that weren't at the level that they're paying them. So they had to train them up, they had to ramp them, they had to spend a lot of time and energy getting those people to a point where they were performing. Um, And then they've had to let them go again. And no one wants to do that again. Everyone that I've spoken to is just totally against going back to that method Mm. and building big permanent in-house teams. And I think if I was ahead of talent, you know, when the market rebounds and, and starts building back up again, I would probably definitely build a core team internally, yeah. probably of more senior people yeah. um, who are can manage a very low level uh, of roles if it does come back down mm-hmm. and kind of my base case of what I think headcount's going to be. And then everything else is outsourced. And now that could be with someone like Talentful, but it could also be, uh, kind of another ge- geographic location. It could be somewhere in you know, Eastern Europe or the Philippines or Buenos Aires or somewhere else where it's, you've got low cost resource, you can hire them on a contract basis, uh, more flexible. Um, I think that flexibility is going to be key. You want, you really want a booster to your rocket that you can kind of mm. eject um, yeah. you know, if things get tough. Yeah. One of the most interesting things, and I think actually, to be honest with you, naive things that's going on at the moment though is I I mean we firmly believe that you should have a head of talent at a certain level and you should have a leadership team that is permanent FTEs that can influence stakeholders and can set the strategy for thing people uh, for the company sorry um yeah I'm seeing people laying off their head of talent and like cutting the entire team out and these are companies that you know are supposed to be long on their own future you know they might be at sort of series B level you know hoping to IPO in the next sort of three to four years I just don't think you can do that without a head of talent I mean, it's part of our sort of rationale around the kind of higher community and our, our sort of mission to put a CTO and a chief talent officer on every board. Um, I, I think that companies that invest in talent, certainly in the senior leadership team and the talent teams, do better. It'd yeah. be actually interesting. We should probably do some data analysis on it on the higher side um, because I firmly believe that having a great head of talent is a total game changer for a company. And conversely, if you hire a really junior person in that role, it will really hold you back. Yeah, we see it all the time. Mm. Um, and then that junior person becomes very territorial. It's very hard to, you know, they always hide below them. 
because they're afraid of someone coming over and they normally either have to really step up and that some people do, some people really step up and grow or they end up getting to a place where they have to be replaced or someone has to be brought above them, which causes a lot of friction and conflict and you could just save yourself a lot of time by hiring someone that's right in the first place. Yeah, um, yeah it is interesting because I think that you know, someone actually came up to me at the event last night and was talking about um, a role that they just joined where they're the first employee actually, mm. uh, you know, after the co-founders um, and they're ahead of talent. Mm -hmm. And how their investors said, look, this is absolutely normal in the US, but it's actually very unusual in, in Europe. Yeah. And it is really interesting because, you know, being in the US, they really do value that, that role mm. and seat at the table. Um, it's seen as a much more strategic role it's seen as a much more important role and it's brought in really, really early. You know, we see, you know, heads of like VPs of talent brought in sometimes first five hires and that is not uncommon. Yeah. Um, and you very rarely see that in Europe. Yeah, definitely. And also that that person is getting around about what a CTO would get in terms of equity as well. And I think that's a really interesting signal that you're valuing your head of talent or VP of talent at the same level as the CTO in terms of equity. And I think that's a real, I mean, I think that's a really good idea. Because frankly, if you can bring someone in who, and this person has sort of been there and done it, has gone through IPOs and all that kind of thing as a head of talent, um, you know, you're really giving yourself a great chance. Like obviously we're long on the fact that hiring the best people is the differentiator between, um, you know, good companies and the game changing companies. And these founders who are serial founders and have had exits before, they know that. And that's why they're, you know, that's their sort of, their play, I suppose, really. Yeah, I think even though we knew you know, talent and recruiting was really important. I think if we look back over, you know, us growing this business, I think some of the sort of things that I would change is really get someone senior in that yeah. seat really early. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we obviously had the specialism, but we focused on other things mm. uh, when it got to a certain size and building out that framework and that ability to scale up your teams, like quickly, efficiently, get the people with the right skill sets, the right values, behaviors in, have that framework really aligned across the business. That is so important to get right at the start because it's so hard to retrofit. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's very painful and it's very hard to do. And I think that that's why when you see these serial entrepreneurs, they realize that pain, they don't want to go back there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think there has to just be a better way of, of you know, talent for tech, tech businesses. I think that there is also something really strange that's happened, I think, where, you know, tech as a sector is inherently risky you know what's the failure rate of a startup it's like you know 99 of startups fail something like yeah. that and people have kind of forgotten that i feel like you know you're choosing to come into tech because you think it's exciting it's where you know there's lots of opportunity to get equity to be paid well um to have fast growth you don't get all those things without some risk and people need to understand that when they're working in tech it is volatile. It can be like a roller coaster, and you're making that trade-off for the potential upside. Yeah. And, and people have, I think, got a bit comfortable over the last decade and thought, "Oh no, it's all it's always going to be like this. I'm going to just keep going, keep going. There's going to be no risk. There's going to be no downside." And this is what tech is. It's a roller coaster. And um, but I do think there's a better way to build talent teams. Mm -hmm. And I think that clearly it's not in its final form yet. You know, you've, you've just had COVID, you've had this recession, talent teams have been disproportionately impacted. It's not good. And I think it's really gonna set the, a bad lasting impression. I just think 
there needs to be a change. I'm really excited to see how that evolves over time. But I do think it's going to be this mix of flexible workforce. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's a couple of companies or probably more than a couple of companies. I know VMware is one of these companies where what they've done with their talent teams is they've managed to redeploy them across the business. And, you know, I think that shows something pretty special about a business like that, that believes that actually these are really important humans, first and foremost in the company. And they've got lots of transferable skills and we know we're going to need them at some point in the future. So why don't we bring them into something else, even something that may, might not have done anything like it before, but recruiters have great research skills. They're generally the best ones are very organized. They're good at talking, talking to people. They're good at, you know, influencing people. There's lots of good transferable skills there. And I think, you know, companies that have done that, I hope actually do really well coming back out of this as well, because, uh, Ultimately, if you've got a ready-made team, ready to go, that all know each other, all know the business really well, you're going to accelerate very, very fast if you need to. Um, so, you know, fair play to them. Yeah, we, we've actually interviewed a few. Sharin uh, from Fastly, mm. she's done that. She's, you know, mm. got people working on a project management course and she's she's levitated people. Levitated? <laughs> Elevated. <Probably not>. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, what, what she's been doing over at Fastly? Elevated people uh, into different roles so she can give them skills that are useful, Joe, yeah. um, outside of recruiting. And then Lehua at Smart Recruiters has also done the same thing. Um, and I think that's really smart. I think especially with the um, advent of you know chat gbt automation that's going to come into the early stages of recruiting sooner rather than later mm -hmm. so getting your recruiters like leveling them up is going to be a good thing yeah definitely um awesome well that was episode four mm -hmm. um the world is changing folks you got to keep up yep. um so tune in for the next episode and give us a cheeky subscribe thanks thanks